Hello and welcome to season two of Inform's Meet Her podcast. My name is Terry Barclay, and I'm president and CEO of Inforum, a nonprofit whose work includes highlighting and supporting diversity in business leadership. The Meet Her podcast series introduces listeners to women of accomplishment whose experiences and insights feed us all on our leadership journeys. And I am just absolutely thrilled and delighted that joining me today is Joanna Totsky, Senior Vice President, Chief Legal Officer and Secretary, Cooper Standard, and a, a member, we're so proud that she's a member of the Inforum Board of Directors. So welcome, Joanna, and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Terry. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I've listened to some of your podcasts that you've done. I found them so meaningful, so I'm really excited about this opportunity. Well, I know that we've got, we're excited too, and we've got a lot to cover, so, so let's just sort of jump right in. What's your understanding of implicit bias, and how do you work on identifying and addressing your own hidden biases? Uh, Terry, implicit bias, I think we all have it. Uh, I think we all kind of know the definition, but let me tell you just a bit of my personal story, uh, which I think you may know some of it. Uh, I grew up in Poland. Uh, I uh, left Poland when I was just turned 20 years old. Poland then and now uh, is pretty much 98, 99% white, and uh, a similar percentage of people are Christian, are Catholic. So until I was 21 and had opportunity to come to United States, I did not know a single person who did not look uh, or behave like me. I did not know anybody who was not white and Catholic. Wow. And I, what, that's, that's what a great way to frame this. Oh, okay. <laughs> because I think the implicit bias, you really have to understand understand people's background, their upbringing, what they're exposed to. So then I came to United States uh, and I, uh, first year I spent in Gross Point, which I think from people from Michigan are familiar with Gross Point, which is a suburb right outside Detroit. Uh, and it was just fascinating to me to see this, you know, geographical division, but also racial and economic division. Then after a few, uh, after some time here in Michigan, I did have a chance to relocate and work in Bangkok, Thailand. So when you live in Asia as a white person, you're a minority, mm. but it's different experience because you're still benefiting greatly from your white privilege there, especially as a US expat. My last assignment was in UK, uh, right before Brexit. You may probably know that Brexit, the main force behind it is, was anti-immigration sentiment. Yes. So, uh, and Pol Poland, uh, Polish language is second language in UK. So Eastern Europe, uh, you know, was really the, uh, the target of that anti-immigration sentiment. So the point that I'm trying to make, the biases are so different wherever you are. Uh, we all have them explicit and implicit. But based on my experience in all those different settings, I have to tell you, Terry, that I really realized that we have so much more in common, you know, that human connection. When you see friends and families, no matter where they're eating out on the streets of Thailand or in an English pub, we all want the same thing. And I really think when we talk about bias, if we can just focus on that human connection, that conversation will be so much easier and more constructive. 
Oh my gosh. I have learned so much already from everything that you said. I had no idea that Polish was the second major group in the UK. Oh my God. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. And what, what diverse experience. I know that so many of our listeners have, have traveled the globe. Um, but it's, it's really a useful experience, isn't it? When you are in a situation where you are the minority um, and you, you understand what that's like uh, to, to not be in the majority group. It's, it, lots of times it's the beginning of the journey for us all to realize what our privilege is and what, how our experiences are so different. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it was eye-opening experience for me and my family as well. So the second part of the question, how do I uh, identify uh, the bias? So I have to tell you, I have uh, three uh, accountability partners and they're my kids. They're now becoming <laughs> young adults, uh, 16 to 23. Terry, if you ever need any help identifying your biases, I can, I can lend you my children. I have to tell you, I, I know that they had all those great experiences. They also lived in all those different countries. But this generation is so much more aware than our generation. I'm so impressed by them. But when they started identifying my biases, uh, it wasn't easy. It was Mm -hmm. hurtful you know I was I was upset and I was getting defensive Mm -hmm. and uh, and then slowly I realized I need to change my mindset Uh, you know it's not about you it's about your behavior and as the label says implicit unconscious so people do things that they're not aware they're even doing it so when someone points it out just take this and uh, and understand that you know we all trying to do the best we can but when you know what's better just do better without getting you know, defensive about it. So I think my kids taught me a lot and I really hope that in the, we can have similar approach to this topic in the workplace. Ah, ah. what a great story. <clears throat> I love that learning, learning from the next generation who has had a very different set of experiences and how wonderful to be able to do that sort of in the safety of your own family. Although sometimes families are the most dangerous places to have those experiences, <laughs> right? They're the riskiest, yeah. right? <laughs> so, so let's talk a little bit about the workplace. What, what can leaders do sort of on that day-to-day basis to encourage and facilitate diversity, equity, and inclusion? Terry, I don't know if you had a chance to watch the latest, uh, I don't know if it's the latest, but recent webcast by Inforum about allyship. And uh, it was uh, uh, the person who was running it, uh, her name was Kimberly Houston. Yes. It it was an amazing session. Uh, I've learned so much from it. She had very, I mean, we we like sharing stories and that's, that's wonderful way of learning, but she was very academic, a lot of data, a lot of surveys. It was really eye opening. I really think that we need to be an allies to people whose voices been overlooked, you know, for so long. Uh, But one point that was like really an eye opening for me that she made, you are not an ally until someone that you think you're helping calls you an ally. It's almost like you're not just someone's friend unless they call you their friend. 
uh, it was very uh, eye-opening to me because I know we're all saying we need to be allies, we need to be allies, but it's all just about your behavior and you don't self-label yourself. You're only an ally when the community feels that you are there to support them. Mm-hmm. And, and there are many ways to be an ally. Um, She's talked about it. I'm not going to you know, go and, and, and summarize that session. But one that's very important is just speaking up. And we do talk about, at Cooper Standard, we talk about the speak up culture. And that goes through the entire organization. But in my opinion, it's critical for leaders to speak up. It's so much easier. I, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's easier for someone who's senior, who's already one of this more, more senior people in the room to, uh, to speak up and challenge bias, challenge some behavior that, uh, you know, demonstrates uh, inequality or bias in an obviously very professional and empathetic way. Uh, but I think leaders have to not just say we support diversity and inclusion, but they have to challenge bias behavior that they witness. Um, another, uh, another thing uh, to, uh, that's important for leaders, and I think some of your uh, guests talk about that too, is to just listen. Mm. Just listen to people, uh, listen to your team, listen to your peer, and listen, not just listening, thinking about how you're going to respond, but listening with just, you're listening to learn, listening to understand. So I think those are probably key things that the leadership can do to to help address the bias and inequity in the workplace. Those are such great points. And I just have to say, if I could ask like a quick follow-up question, you know, listening sounds easy. (laughs) It sounds like it's an easy thing to do, right? It's, It's kind of passive and, you know, you, you don't have to be on, but oh my gosh, it's not so easy to do when what someone is saying is pressing every button you have and you know, you're having a react reaction or to use the earlier example you used with, with your children, you know, some of the things you're hearing are making you feel defensive. Um, do, do you have any tips for when you have, you know, when you're a leader and you're in that moment and you're having those reactions, how do you manage those reactions so that you continue to be curious and, and to listen? Do you have any tips? I think that, uh, and I agree with you, listening is much more difficult than speaking. Uh, and, uh, uh, and when you have those emotions, uh, I, I think you, you have to be aware of them. Just try to be aware of them. That's like, okay, now this person said this, this is how I'm feeling right now. But it's almost like take a pause. So when you take a pause, uh, even for just a few seconds, you give yourself time to respond, not to react. Uh Uh, And I think, again, not an easy skill to have. I try to do it. I'm not going to say that I do it (laughs) all the time and I'm every time successful because like you say, people can press your buttons and they know how to do it. And sometimes we're just tired and stressed out. But if you just think about it, if you try, like take the pause, take some few breaths and give yourself a chance to respond, not react. Uh Great advice. Oh, that's such that's such a good answer. And you know, you also mentioned something very important, and it speaks to the importance of self care. You know, when you're tired, when you're stressed out, uh, you know, you are 
reacting in a different way to things. And so it's why it's so important to try to put yourself into the equation. We, we talk, especially to women about that all the time, about the need to put yourself in the equation and participate in sort of those self-care rituals that help you to be more centered um, as you approach stressful situations. So, so I'd like to talk though a little bit about women because you and I have had several conversations about this over time. You know, women, we know that women have made slow and steady gains in achieving leadership positions. I mean, gosh, look at you and your amazing career. But we also know that the gender gap persists can you maybe share an experience that illustrates how you've overcome the barriers that women so often face? Uh, so I have a few comments uh, about this. I know there's a lot of discussion how to break the glass barrier. And there's a lot of discussion uh, that gives women advice. You have to own your own professional development. You have to invest in yourself, develop yourself. Obviously, great advice. Great advice for everybody. I'm sometimes a little frustrated with this advice because it, it comes across like the reason we still have inequity, gender inequity in the workplace is because somehow women are not owning their professional development. And I have to tell you, I have a lot of girlfriends and they're very well educated. They're constantly educating themselves, uh, reading, uh, gaining different type of experiences. So that's why I, I know it's a great advice, but I said it's a great advice for everybody. I think another point that's important in the gender equity at the workplace is we need to invite men into the conversation. We need to create a space where men feel comfortable and safe to talk about gender inequality. The way I did this, and here's the lawyer in me, a bit of a disclaimer, is <laughs> this may not work for everybody. But Terry, I took a lot of risks in my uh, professional and, to be honest, personal life. Uh, and there are risks, uh, different types, small risk. You know, you open your mouth in a meeting, you say something and you wonder, OK, how this is going to end for me, <laughs> you know, uh, there are going to be some consequences of me just telling my truth and being very direct about the topics that are being discussed. But I also, like I've already mentioned, I took my family and relocated them to Asia. Then I took the family and relocated them to UK. And I, the biggest risk I took, I walked away from a wonderful company after 16 years because I just felt that the opportunities there were limited for me. And I joined Cooper Standard when I thought that I have a better chance to spread my wings. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that this is not for everybody, because I have to tell you, it's, it's scary. I had many moments, you know, when you wake up at like 3am in the morning, thinking, mm -hmm. what on earth did I just do? You know, how is this gonna end? Uh, and, uh, and, and it's, it's hard. It's hard on you. It's hard on your family. It's, it's very stressful, but I feel that the way I managed to achieve what I always dream of uh, achieving, which is to be a general counsel of a publicly traded company was to take all those risks throughout my professional life. What, uh, thank you for, for all the elements of that response. You know, sometimes, um, you know, sometimes I feel a little bit uh, like I'm tired of 
quote unquote, fixing women. And, you know, we, we all need to, you're absolutely right. All of us need to be at the top of our professional games. You know, those are table stakes. Um, but Born does need to change with um, uh, how we build allies and how uh, men are invited in to the conversation. Um, and the risk-taking is risks risk-taking smart risk-taking is an area that i think requires more exp exploration and so you know maybe we'll have you back and we'll talk about risk uh sometime and how you made those decisions uh because that's really fascinating you're right um such, yeah, we'll be such, happy to do that, Terry. Yeah, yeah, we've got to talk more about that. So <clears throat> another thing that we've we've talked about, and actually you've been referencing throughout this, is that trust is often identified as a key element of leadership. Tell us how you've built trust amongst colleagues in the past and why you think it worked. I agree 100%. Trust is the key. But Terry, when you look at the surveys uh, of least trusted professions, I'm sure you you know lawyers are at the top. <laughs> you mean we you mean we can make lawyer jokes? That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely lawyers jokes. Uh, business people are also very high. Politicians, obviously, we all know. But I was surprised to see that business people always come up at the top of least trusted uh, professions. And I just want to tell you my story from law school. So when I was in law school, we had an assignment to prepare two sides of an argument. So it's a legal case, plaintiff, defendant. We were, we were asked to prepare arguments for, for both. I asked a friend who was not, had nothing to do with law, law school, not a lawyer, just uh, you know, normal, normal. Normal person. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I prepared. <laughs> I uh, I prepared, and I thought I did amazing job. But I could see the face of uh, my uh, my friend. It was not really like he was very impressed. To the contrary, it was just like a disbelief. Like, how can you do this? How can you, in a matter of minutes, like con convince me one way and then convince me the other way? Uh, and that's what we learn in law school. And I think that in business too, uh, there's a lot of uh, an important skill for business people is to com communicate to influence. But there is a thin line theory between influencing and manipulating. So Ooh. the way I build trust, I really try to be, I mean, I call it transparent communication. So when I'm presenting to the board or my CEO, when I talk to my team or my peers, I wanna just be very transparent. So if, uh, if uh, I wanna talk about why we wanna do this, but I, about the opportunities, but I also wanna address the risks. I wanna right. present as full of a story. So when the person makes a decision based on my communication, they feel like they're making the best decision they can make getting all the facts and sometimes you cannot have like all the facts there you still you know have to to make a decision about that but getting as much information as possible because once people feel you're manipulating them into certain decision making i think the trust the trust is gone so the transparent communication for me uh, is key ah oh, that is such a great point 
the thin line between uh, influence and persuasion and ma manipulation. That's really a great point. You know, it reminds me of a story from from way back in actually in my first job out of grad school, I uh, was placed in a position where I had to interact on public policy issues with uh, Congress. And I remember meeting with congressional staffers about prospective legislation. And I just, I will never forget the moment that the tone of the relationship and the feeling in the room changed. I was there to advocate on behalf of a particular policy, but they asked me, what's the other argument? What's the other side of this? And when I said what the other argument is, the whole, it was amazing. It was like everybody's body language changed. The whole room changed. And I, I became more of a go-to person for everybody because they knew I, I could talk about both sides. So what a great example that is that you shared. I, it resonated with something I learned inadvertently. <laughs> and, and that's how you build, uh, that's how you build trust. I know part of the question is when do you do you know when you build it? I, I don't really know that you that you you know where, where you built this, but you definitely know when you lost it. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's a it's a key leadership skills, and I really think that uh, we have to do the best we can to to build that trust for the business community. Oh, thank you for so much for for sharing that. So. Before you go, can you share with us a story about how you used or maybe even a time when you wish you'd used a key leadership competency and why that mattered? Uh, so uh, are you talking about the uh, emotional intelligence? No, so now yes, I, and relationship management, yeah, you know, so, yeah. I yeah, think so, uh, so uh, Let's talk about the relationship uh, management. Uh, I've had many situations, uh, especially nowadays, uh, Terry, with reliance on technology. When you constantly rely on emails, uh, texts, um, I, I've realized that I got myself in a number of situations by email mainly, where I'm trying to uh, you know, get something done and the other person is not really responding the way I expect them to respond. So you get into this email back and forth, which is so not constructive. Uh, so I think with the relationship management, one of the very important elements of it is, is really reviving the art of conversation. <laughs> It's, it's we're, we're all right going to have to we're all going to have to revive the art of in-person meetings hopefully soon but yeah but no i i'm sorry you're absolutely right the art of conversation tell us more so in so i would get in some situation that's like i, I i'm frustrated the other person's frustrated each set of emails is just getting us further and further away from what we're trying to achieve here so I've learned that to build a relationship, it's like, let's, and I understand now we cannot do this in person, but we can do it by phone, even, even Zoom, what we're doing right now, when we can lo look at each other and have this conversation remotely, 
I had so many situations when I thought this was a lost case and all I did, I said, okay, time out. Let's just forget the texting emails. Let's just sit face to face and figure this out. And it worked. <laughs> and I wish I knew this from the very, like some, some topics are not really, you, you mean, because you're, you know, stressed out, you're in a hurry, you're trying to get hundred things done. You, you send out a quick email that you think's going to communicate what you want to communicate, but it's, it's, it's not, it's not the same. So, so for me, the relationship management is, yeah, let's just have more conversations, honest conversations. And then uh, another uh, thing that I'm trying to do, again, it's, uh, those things are not easy is, but I try to just assume that people have good intentions. Uh, People want to do good. Uh, For lawyers, it's a bit of a professional, you know, disease because we do see so many instances where people you know, uh, engage in some misconduct, that there were things went wrong. But even in those situations, quite often, like people still meant well, they just didn't know the difference between right and uh, wrong, or just did not understand, understand the whole situation. So I think in the relationship building, just this approach that, you know, I'm going to believe that everything that you're saying, it's coming from your heart. It's you have good intentions the same way I had good intentions. And I think it just gets that uh, relationship and conversation much more constructive. What? Yes. (laughs) Yes. I think that's really powerful advice to assume good intentions. I have to say, it's not always easy. Like you said, when you have these conversations, when people are pressing your buttons, Yes. You, you wonder, is like, do you really have good intentions? But as, if you can hold on to that mindset for as long as you can, I think you, you have a better chance of solving the problem that you're dealing with in a much more effective way. Yes, yes, yes. Great, great, great advice. My goodness. Uh, Joanna, thank you so much for joining us today and for your candor and sharing such great stories. Oh, you're welcome, Terry. And I want to thank you for everything that you do and everything that Inform does for promoting women and helping, helping us advance in the workplace. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for uh, being one of the leaders on our board. I mean, we would not in any way be able to do anything we do without uh, our our incredible board leadership it's just a privilege to work with such a group of such smart and talented people so thank you joanna well <clears throat> so that wraps up our podcast please come back to informmichigan.org for more opportunities to meet her and while you're there check out season one as well as meet him a podcast series in which male leaders share what they've learned about the importance of diverse leadership. And don't forget to check out our growing library of video tips, virtual leadership development programming, and our calendar of virtual events. Thanks for joining us today.